0: Well, here we are, the men podcast. Joe Roter hosting you today for Red's Fly Shop. Sitting here with the man, Bob Miller, shop manager at Red's. Uh, Most of you that live in the Northwest know Bob because he is the man running the shop all the time. So uh, go easy on Bob, first time podcaster. Bob, tell us about yourself.
1: Well, uh, like Joe said, managing the fly shop here. Uh he used to be a guide in Alaska, did a lot of fishing before that point, originally from Minnesota, and uh, been living out here in the Pacific Northwest for oh, four years, I guess, and uh, catching trout and steelhead ever since.
0: Yeah, what do you guys catch in Minnesota?
1: Not trout and steelhead. No? no. <laughs> uh, mostly bass and walleye, maybe some muskie.
0: And uh a little panfish here and there. Yeah, nothing wrong with a few panfish. So what about muskie? Um have you gone muskie fishing since you've been out here? Uh I have a couple times. Uh limited success.
1: We've I've found a couple. Uh the hybrids, the tiger muskie they call them. But uh not it's a little more difficult than back in Minnesota.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've never caught a muskie. Alright, so <laughs> Bob's from Minnesota. He's very prideful about that. Uh, Anytime anybody from Minnesota comes into the shop, it's like a damn family reunion. Every single time there's hugs and high fives and where are you from? (laughs) (laughs) In Minnesota, there's all of about 14,000 people that live in that state, so they all know each other. Yeah, uh (laughs) uh-huh. So we're sitting here uh, in the F-350 sound studio uh, along the river. It's a beautiful winter day. We should be trout fishing. Uh, But Bob and I got a sweet tropical trip planned. Bob is going to be my wingman going to Christmas Island this year. And it's going to be his first tropical fishing trip. Very much unlike this fella pushing his drift boat downstream in the 35 degree water. The outside temperature right now is about 28. These guys got to be freezing their asses off right here. So they're, they're walking the boat... Hey, that's my boat. They're walking their boat right down in front of us right now, and we're sitting in in a truck that we had to spend 20 minutes heating up so that we could have a nice, quiet place to do this. But uh, yeah, we're going to be heading to Christmas Island, first tropical trip for Bob. He has done a load of fishing uh, in Alaska, and uh, there's going to be a whole different deal for him going uh, to Christmas Island. I'm just sorry, I got gotta laugh. What did they do with the the front seat think, of that
1: boat? I think the uh the dog needed a place to sit, so they removed the cooler as the front seat.
0: Yeah, these guys have my they're they're renting the boat, which is awesome. These guys are they're hardy, I love their passion me out here today. They did some reconfiguring to the boat though for that <laughs> some kind of terrier they got sitting in the captain's chair up front there. So hopefully they had a good day fishing. All right, so we're going to Christmas Island. It's going to be an awesome trip. I've been several times. I love it, but we thought this would be a great podcast because Bob has got a ton of questions. When you decide to go on a big trip like this one, we really encourage you. You you don't need to be neurotic about it, but do some planning and try to learn as much about the destination as you can before you go so that you can make the absolute most out of your trip because... It's going to be a nice vacation, but I'm going to be honest, Bob's going there to do some catching. You know, you will have a good time, but uh, we want to get fish. We want to have a great trip. We also want to learn as much as we can so we can convey it back to you guys so that when you go to Christmas Island, you can make the absolute most out of your trip, too. So let's just get right into it here.
1: Yeah, uh, got a lot of questions. Um, and so I guess the kind
0: of the first deal is... Well, let me, uh, let me interrupt. Go ahead. For a second. What do you know about Christmas Island already? Like, what, or like, if you had to say, like, the craziest, weirdest thing you've heard, like, you're curious whether it's true or not, what is that going to be?
1: I saw this thing on, maybe it was uh, one of those wildlife documentaries about the crab migrations. Oh. Am I going to see
0: crabs? Dude, big-ass crab migration. The drivers and the trucks, like, when you go, there's, there's a couple of different ways you fish most anglers most days will utilize boats. And so we'll go out of the boat with a few guys and we'll get into the details of that. But you might go fishing with a truck and you get to go access some pretty cool places. You might fish the open coastline or you might go to what they call the backcountry. And those guys driving those trucks, you would, like, the first couple times you see the crabs crossing the road, you're like, man, I feel like those guys, he must not have saw the crab because he just ran <laughs> right <laughs> over like a dozen crabs and then pretty soon you just get acclimated to, like, the crab crunch of them just driving their trucks over these damn crabs. But it's kind of hard to listen to the first few times because, man, huh. it, crabs are migrating across the road. Thousands of them. Thousands of them, man. They're cr- it's crazy. You'll find them in your waiting. You know, you leave your waiting boots outside your little bungalow shack. I don't know exactly what the right term is. It's like a concrete you know, little guest house, and uh, you leave your wet wading boots out there on the the stoop at night, and then in the morning, uh, you got to check, because the crabs, they like to go in holes, and so a lot of times, the hole they find, they just had to go down your wading boot. Huh. That's a hell of a surprise at 5.30 a.m. when you're lacing up, and you shove your foot <laughs> in there, and you got one of those crabs climbing out of there, but... Yeah, hell of a lot of crabs. It's uh, you know, they they do such a good job on those documentaries of making it look like it's you know crab Armageddon. You know, they're going to mm-hmm. take over the earth and and stuff. But, uh, yeah, every every night, lots of crabs. Mm. You know, crawling all over the place, across the road. But, cool. Yeah, and strangely enough, it, they must not be good to eat. We don't really eat crab. It's not really on the menu there. we are not eating the crabs. Nah. Are they pretty small? No, some of them are like uh, you know, like if you're a crabber. You know, like a Dungeon S is like, good Dungeon S like six inches wide. Uh, no, some of these things are pretty good size. Like, I mean, real relative to like a Dungeon S keeper, so they must be six inches across the back. Oh, wow. There's lots of small ones too. But uh, yeah, tons of, tons of those things, man. They're all over the place. You get just used to them just climbing around all over, you know, after a couple of days. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird, dude. You feel bad when the drivers just smash those things. Just running them over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're, the roads are like, you know, if you drive near the coastline, the roads are peppered with them. You oh, know, I imagine. Grab guts all over. Huh. Yeah. All, all right. right. Well, Let's so get... how do we get there? All right. Well, uh, it's really easy from the West Coast. Uh, you're going to fly to Honolulu, assuming you are listening to this podcast in North America. Uh from the West Coast, you fly to Honolulu on say a Monday. It goes hell, you can go any day you want, but you just can't miss that flight out on Tuesday
1: because there's only one.
0: There's a flight a week, and uh, on Fiji Airways, and uh, it's pre- It's all pretty easy to book. Uh, we, you know, we got our tickets already. You know, we got your ticket, and we just use that travel agent. So yeah, uh, she books it all for us and makes it you know piece of cake. But uh, yeah, you can go to Honolulu. Uh, on a monday a couple of days early whatever you want to do and then uh you fly to christmas island it's just three and a half hours from uh honolulu down to christmas island Mm. and uh you know one thing you might have heard when asked like what have you heard that sounds crazy about christmas island is like you know one thing's gonna be the airport like (laughs) you know you may have heard stories about like cassidy international airport and uh literally their customs deal is like their immigration you know uh it's a, kind of like a cattle drive. Anytime you get through immigration, it's all plywood, dude. It's just, it's like it's super <laughs> rustic because they only have a flight a week or well, two flights a week technically. Cause I guess one's going to come in from the Australia or Fiji side mm. and, uh, and, and one from the Hawaii side. Um, but yeah, so there's like two flights a week. So you got to remember like these customs agents, they only work a day a week. So like they just kind of show up, you know, the flight comes in and, uh, you know, you you go through customs there takes forever. Try to go to the bathroom on the plane, like before. It's you gonna get take there. a while. Yeah, like time. You don't, and dude, you don't go number two at Casti International <laughs> <laughs> Airport <laughs> under any circumstance, Bob. Why is that, Joe? <laughs> I'm just gonna let you go and discover the adventure for yourself. But you do not go number two, Casti International Airport. Okay, so no taking. No, yeah, <laughs> write that one down. But, yeah, you don't want to – and bring your own toilet paper everywhere you go in Christmas Island. Just trust me on that one. Don't rely on your guide for TP <laughs> under any circumstance. Hey, and that goes for fishing trips everywhere. That's a little pro tip right there. Pro tip. That's a nugget of goodness that <laughs> you will appreciate at some point. Yeah, so go to Honolulu. I usually I just go over in the afternoon. And, uh, I kind of, I'm kind of a nerd, uh, when, when I get to Honolulu cause I always want to wrap up, you know, like some emails and just kind of make sure all the loose ends are tied for family stuff, kid stuff, work stuff, make sure, you know, all loose ends are tied up, bills are paid. And, uh, and then I can shut down for the week cause there's really no, there's really no contact at Christmas Island once you're there.
1: No cell service, no internet. No, there's not the, worth making a phone call.
0: Yeah, there's promise of internet every year and then there's no internet. Like gotcha. th- there's internet like in Christmas Island like the country or the the island or toll uh if you want to speak from a you know geographically proper standpoint uh but you got your uh your Garmin uh uh the satellite texture. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that Garmin inReach device. Yeah. Dude, that thing's money.
1: Yeah, we'll be bringing that one for sure.
0: Yeah, so I borrowed, anybody who's going on a a big trip and likes spending time kind of in the wild outdoors, uh, like myself, I borrowed this Garmin InReach device from Bob, and you got your dad bought you that thing, right? Yeah, that's the way to do it. Get it as a gift. Yeah, yeah. Anybody listening? (laughs) (laughs) My relatives don't listen to this. My wife definitely doesn't listen to this. She hears enough (laughs) about fishing all the time anyway. But uh, yeah, so Bob let me borrow that, and I went on a solo solo deer hunt in montana in november and it was extremely cold weather and uh my my wife really wanted me to stay in contact as best i could there wasn't going to be cell coverage in this pretty remote area i was in bob let me borrow that garbage in reach device it was awesome because i could text via satellite uh from wherever i was and uh give her location and uh she sleeps better at night and uh i could let her you know know i was all right and i told her though that it was one way that she couldn't text back, <laughs> so, but you can actually text back. But I told her, I was like, yeah, it, it can only send outgoing messages. Like, <laughs> so, cause I didn't want to be getting all these crazy texts while I was on my hunting trip. But, uh, yeah. And you, you know, so you can, this is going to be a good thing at Christmas Island. Cause you're going to be able to Bluetooth that thing to your phone, right? Right to
1: my phone. Yep. I mean, it's just like texting any other day. Um, which will be nice for the family, and you know, you can update your wife and and whatnot as well.
0: Yeah, I I'm gonna I've got to get one of those. I think you know going forward on all our Reds trips, I think we want to have that. We we've carried a sat phone at times, but have had some inconsistent results. That messenger was really cool because I could just send the message, and if it I didn't have to sit there and wait for it to go out. I could just go by doing my business and check back with it in a half an hour and be like, oh yeah, it sent, you know, it's a confirmed message it went out. Whereas that satellite phone always was, it seemed like kind of an inconsistent connection with a lot of delay. And most of the time, all I want to do is just say, Hey, we're here. Everything's great. You know, we're having a good time, yeah. et cetera. So I, I don't really want to have a conversation a lot of the time because it's just that sat phone thing has, has been really frustrating for us. But, uh,
1: Oh, they're great for, yeah, peace of mind, or if you
0: had an emergency situation, it'd
1: be nice to have as well.
0: Yeah, so other than the Garmin inReach, uh, once we get to the island, we're going dark. It's a total black ops mission.
1: Yeah, It's uh, we're off the grid. Cool. Well, looking forward to that as well.
0: Yeah, so that's how we get there. And then, uh, you know, getting back, like I said, for the West Coast, it's just, it's simple. The East Coast, it's just a little bit, you know, longer flight. And the reason I say the West Coast different is because the way home on the West Coast. I mean, we leave Christmas Island. Um, it's kind of weird because there's an international dateline, but basically I'll just take you through the real-time travel logistics. It, it'll be a, a North America Tuesday, a Christmas Island Wednesday. We leave at 7.30 in the morning, fly to Honolulu for three and a half hours, take about two hours, to, you know, check in, get back in the U.S., go through customs, it's real simple, and then uh, jump on a plane and fly back to Seattle, Washington, and uh, we're there at like... That's about a six hour flight. So we're there, I think at 8 p.m. ish, I want to say. Uh, it's, it's a reasonable evening time. We're back in Seattle. So leave Christmas Island in the morning. We're home that night. If you're on the East Coast, just a little bit, you know, you may wind up overnighting somewhere on the way back, depending on how your, your flight logistics work. But I found it to be a pretty, in comparison, a lot of the trips I've done, you know, I, and I think that's kind of a misconception and maybe you've, heard people talk, oh, it's just so far away and yada yada. It's it's really not that bad. I mean, planes travel like five hundred miles an hour, dude. I mean they go they go pretty quick. <laughs> cars do not, especially cars and trucks on windy dirt and gravel roads. Like there's a lot of trips you go on that you wind up flying somewhere or going somewhere and the car time just makes it really inconvenient. Mm-hmm. And then once you're in Christmas Island you're you're relatively close. I mean sometimes within 20 minutes of the fishery from the time you leave the lodge so some of the
1: and that's what i was going to ask too so when you land in christmas island i mean how do you get to the lodge or the resort or whatever you call it
0: yeah so we uh we get through customs travel host tries to get through first you know so like when i book i now there's going to be a mad rush for seats in the front of the plane but i try to get i try to sit up in front as the travel host and kind of hustle off of there because I'll go initiate contact with uh, the lodge, and all the other lodges are going to be there to pick up guests. The plane's full of fishermen, mm-hmm. and then a few people, a few weirdos decide they're going to go vacation there you know, with their families and stuff. Um, it would be my top choice is like a family vacation. I just, I think there's places with equivalent scenery and different accommodations, but I guess if you've freaking been everywhere, Christmas why, Island, why check go that box. Go see some crabs. Go see <laughs> lots of crabs. Uh, go check that box, but...
1: So they pick you up in a van and, uh, just a short drive to the resort then.
0: Yeah. All the lodges are there, you know, and, uh, you know, whatever lodge we're fishing with, whether it's Ikari house or the villages, you know, they're there to pick us up and like these Isuzu type, you know, cab over motor flat nose trucks. And, uh, they've just got bench seats in the side. And, uh, we always try to arrange to have a few cold beers waiting for us. Cause you're, you're in the tropics now. It's yeah. time to start we're having on vacation. Some, yeah. Cold beer tastes pretty good yeah. when you get off that plane, uh, and so, and then it's about a half an hour, maybe to the lodge. Uh, I'm just guesstimating; it's not far to the lodge. So, go to the lodge and get a great orientation from the head guide. Get you checked in. The people are wonderful and so accommodating. So happy to have you there. And just the people have just a absolute wonderful, welcoming, uh, very benign spirit about them. It's uh, it, it's kind of different. I've traveled in Central America a lot, and uh, you know, like contrasting, you know. The Mexican culture, I'd say I've traveled to Mexico, you know, 15 times, probably more. And uh, they they have a great hospitality culture. Um, A little bit more uh, not aggressive with their hospitality. Like, you know, hey, can I get that for you, sir? Can I get you Mm -hmm. drinks? Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, and the Christmas Island folks are a little bit more passive. Like you can mistake it for not. Yeah, you can you have to be careful cuz you'll mistake it for them not wanting to serve but they're just a, they're more passive you know mm-hmm. like the guides aren't aggressive you know we we'll talk about guides and stuff like that but the guides aren't going to be aggressive they're not ever going to raise their voice i mean they might raise their voice like woohoo in excitement but they would never raise their voice like to critique your fishing strategy or your mm-hmm. casting you know you're not going to hear these disgruntled moans out of the guides in Christmas. I'm like, oh, you, you missed know. the big one. Yeah, when you make a bad cast in Mexico, you're going to hear all about it, which is great. I <laughs> love the humor, but uh, you, you can mistake that in their culture for kind of a, you know, a, a lack of uh, ambition, but it's really not the case. It's just, it's a different, it, it, that island culture is very different. And they speak a completely different dialect. They speak uh, Gilbertese, and so it's not, and some English dork can correct me in the comments here, but it's not a Latin-based language, so it doesn't derive a lot of the you know a lot of the roots of our words we share in common uh, with like the Spanish or French languages, and the Gilbertese language is complete complete lack of you know basic you know shared phonics with the English language, so. There really is no faking it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like it's completely different Hmm. as far as the language base. But the guides speak good enough English to communicate. Some speak excellent English. They've been schooled, uh, you know, in English uh, at a secondary school. Some uh, will go to Australia um, to go to school. Because it's an Australian territory. You know, I think currently, that's a good question, Bob. Uh, I'd have to look that up. We need like a computer guy sitting in our podcast on fact checking, fact checking on <laughs> the
1: <laughs> stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 but uh, no, I think it's its own sovereign nation at this point. I gotcha. But okay. it was an Australian territory at, at one point. So um, anyway, there's an action, awesome uh, back report on uh, Christmas Island on our website. If you go to redsflyshop.com, you navigate to travel and. Go to Christmas Island. Uh, one of our guests, Mike Wade, who's been to Christmas Island with me a couple of times, uh, he put together a really cool, kind of a real interesting cultural history report about a lot of the history that's occurred there. Because um, that was a very strategic air base at one point uh, as well. And you can read all about that um, during World War II. Um, so, anyway... Go check that out. It's a really interesting thing. In fact, there's your homework Bob. You can go check that out. But it's
1: I'll let you know who uh whose territory it is.
0: Yeah, and Mike actually narrates it. Oh, so if perfect. I remember correctly, it's his uh if you click on it and you have a volume on, he'll actually narrate the presentation for you. Huh. It's pretty sweet. I'll so. check that out. Anyway, Gilbertese, you won't understand a damn word they're saying in their language, trust me. Don't even try. So do you
1: go through the town? Is there a town there on Christmas Island? Um Any point in
0: going to town, any shopping, tourist attractions? Yeah, the town's named London. Um, There's Paris, London, Poland, and a whole bunch of other European uh, cities or countries. uh, And that's what the towns are kind of named after. Hmm. Mike's report um, explains a lot of that as well. Uh, Yeah, going to London's kind of neat. You know, they have a couple of other industries other than sport fishing. Um, Commercial fishing, like tuna fishing and offshore fishing, uh, is is one of their... uh, you know, economic sources and then coconuts, you know, uh, oh. as well. So on some of the surrounding, you know, islands and things like that as well. Because huh. there's, you know, a mixture of islands in that Kyrbos, uh chain. Kirbos is a uh, pr- pronunciation for that country. Hmm. Kirbos. But it's like got T's and B's and stuff in it. But yeah. it's pronounced Kirbos. And uh, Christmas is... It's named Christmas Island because their pronunciation of the island or the country is somewhat, uh, sounds a bit like Christmas. So I used to say Christmas Island. Okay. So it's not because you go there at Christmas time. Gotcha. Although you found out you were going around Christmas time. I did so, find out. Merry Christmas to me. Yeah, yeah, it's a great Christmas gift for anybody listening. <coughs> okay, so there's some of the backstory. We'll get to BSing about fish in here eventually. Um,. Yeah, so, uh, well, talking about
1: Christmas time, what, what time of year do you go? I mean, we're going in May. I know we got trips going there all all times of the year. Um, how do you how
0: do you pick? Uh, that's a, I get that question quite a bit. Uh, well, it's three and a half degrees north of the equator, so it has extremely stable weather patterns. Um, they'll get an occasional typhoon or something like that that blows through there, like, but it really is in kind of those unweathered latitudes, like the horse latitudes, you know, where, you know, explorers would be sailing ships through those latitudes and they would get no wind and it would be calm and they would end up eating their horses. Mm. So the horse, it's it falls within that latitudinal boundary, very calm. There's going to be wind while we're fishing and stuff like that, but it's it's a very you know, calm weather pattern. It's like in the mid to high eighties, pretty much every day of the year. Like if you go look and you be like, Oh, I wonder what month is nice to go to Christmas. <laughs> and you look, it's like the, the temperature graph is pretty much a flat all the way across. Um, they get a little bit more rain, you know, and I, and I get data on this again, we need our fact checker, um, doing this, but they get a tiny bit more rain in January, but It really, it's not like a deterrent to fishing, you know, it's like we're talking very subtle difference. Uh, The first time I went was in late May and we got a couple of cloudy days with a little rainstorm, you know. I I think you can get that any time of the year. It's like Groundhog's Day, man. You wake up, same day, every day, same length of day, every single day, Hmm. you know, um, same amount of daylight all the time. So, very stable weather patterns year-round. Uh There really isn't, you know, a month that's, you know, much better than another. We happen to go do a lot of our trips in May because that's when we lose out on fishing here. If our river we're looking at right now, the Yakima, it can be high and muddy in May. So, I personally plan my trips where that river might be blown out, where I might not be working here anyway. Uh But, uh You know, we're going to, we had a trip going in September of 2019. looks like we're going to have a trip going in September, 2020. Uh, You're going to have your trip in September, or excuse me, in 2020 at some point. Dates undecided yet. Uh, And you're going in May this year. Uh, We got a trip going in February this year. Mm -hmm. And we've seen pretty similar success across the board. Does it seem to matter time of year,
1: different, you know, any different fish species or anything or not? It's just the same every year. Or every time of year, and it's always good.
0: You know, my trips have all been, you know, really similar to one another. Uh, you know, people will ask about moons and tides, uh, and you know, whenever you can go is the right time to go. Like you start to overplan this stuff, and you, that's that's how it, stuff. I was gonna, I'll just say it, that's how shit hits fan. People <laughs> will scrutinize over tides and moon cycles and dates. And they'll have paralysis by analysis. They'll wind up thinking about this for so long, trying to find a date that has the moon cycle that Joe said to go, and they won't end up ever going. Yeah. You just go when you're going to go. Uh, the first trip, in fact, so I'll just lay everything I know out. I my When I do these trips, I'm thinking for the long term. I want to be fishing Christmas Island. I want to be booking trips for Christmas Island. I want to do the best job I can for all the customers that book, through reds so i'll typically ask the guides a lot of questions and i'll it'll be like while we're fishing and i'll isolate them so they don't get to do any answers by committee but i'll be like hey so you know what do you think about the tides and moon cycles you know what do you think the best times of year are and uh almost if i see great consistencies in those answers i just i tally it up to fact so yeah. if seven out of ten guides give me the same answer well, I'm just going to call that fact because the other three, you know, maybe younger guides or they they may, you know, they may be smart enough to do the outfitter thing and be like, no, anytime's a good time. <laughs> but truthfully, time you can go is a good time. But new moons and full moons offer the biggest swings of tide. So those are the, the biggest shiftings of the tides. So when you get those bigger tidal shifts, so Christmas Island is basically like one giant lagoon, okay? And it's, it's like a coral atoll and there's, you know, there's antler coral, there's coral rubbish like rock, there's some sand and the bottom varies quite a bit, but basically it's like a giant lagoon And that when those big tide swings happen, it brings new water in from the ocean and it sweeps, you know, more water back out across the flats. There's just a lot more shifting of the water in those deep lagoons because there's, there's networks of channels and la- shallow lagoons and flats all over Christmas Island and that water pours in and out of those lagoons. In the bigger tides, there's a bigger shifting of bait fish activity and bait activity, we'll just say. And the guides have told me when you get those bigger tidal shifts, you're more likely, it's never guaranteed, to get more shots at giant trevally in shallow water on the flats, which that's what I'm into. I'm not into chumming fish. I didn't go fly all that way so I could go chum for fish. If you want to chum for fish, go for it. Anybody who wants to go chum, I'm not going to take anything away from you. There's just one rule. You don't get to come back to the lodge and big time all the rest of us talking about all the GTs you caught chumming fish. So we, you know, in fly fishing, there's just a lot of value to, to fishing on your own terms, and the way you like to do it, and I might as well not be fly fishing at that point, you know. So That's what you like to do. That's yeah. what I like to do, and I'm not going to come back to the lodge and tell you how great I am either. So that's the chummers and the non-chummers. Hey, I'm not
1: going to say that if that's what i got to do to catch a GT.
0: Oh, I'll be honest. I will throw bait on my hook for sharks. Like, Ooh, dude, I'll go shark. Fun. Yeah, I'll go shark, and i got no issue with it at all because a shark has, as you know, a very keen sense of smell. And they can distinguish between a fly. What kind of shark would that be? Like black tips. Black t- Tons of black tips. Huh. Oh, yeah, dude, there's black tips all over so the So we'll catch some of those? I hope so. Okay. If we have, we got to bring, you know, 12 weights and wire leader, we can talk about charts later, but, um, so I know I'm not above, you know, throwing some bait or doing some stuff different, but regarding chumming, like it, I, I, and I've heard it backfire a lot of times for guys. They go sit on a pancake flat for four hours chumming and they don't catch a damn thing and that they could have been, walk, yeah, they could have been hiking around, enjoying themselves, looking for bonefish and blue trevally mm. and other species, so... I've heard it backfire, too, but if you want to go fair chase, GT fishing, new moons and full moons tend to offer a few more shots. However, the first trip I went on, I probably got more shots at big GTs, we, on and we didn't go. We went like a three-quarter moon, and between the three-quarter moon and the full moon, the last two days of that trip, I ended up getting quite a few shots. So, You don't have to hit it right on the bunny. The upsides are that you get those big tidal shifts, you might get a shot at a GT. Not everybody's going to catch a big GT. It just ain't going to happen, okay? Uh, We can talk more specifically species by species in a minute. But
1: And what kind of bait fish are you saying are moving uh, uh, when the tides are coming in and out? What what are those?
0: There's like mullet and, you know, I just want to say mullet, you know, and there's a whole bunch of other little stuff, you know. I don't know, and but
1: sure. the crabs they don't get pushed around by the.
0: Oh, cr- yeah, crabs never everything. But
1: that's not what the GTs are
0: eating. They'll, they'll eat. Uh, yeah, they'll eat small snapper. Yeah, I think they'll eat crabs. I don't know why they wouldn't eat crabs. I don't know. I'm not throwing a crab pattern at them, but yeah, I think they eat everything, dude. They're okay. smashers, but, um, but yeah, the the they're reacting to any of that. You know, they'll eat shrimp. Um, they'll eat anything they can. So any of that, those heavier currents makes that bait fish more vulnerable. But the the downsides to those big tides are that you can get on a flat during a tidal shift, and if you're not in the right spot, you're going to be in the damn desert, dude. Mm. Like, I've been on those big tide shifts, and if we're in the wrong spot at the wrong time, you will not see a bonefish one. Huh. So there's some risk involved in that strategy. The neap tides and kind of the quarter moons and half moons, those are going to offer probably the most consistent... Currents where the guides they know for certain they can get on great bonefish fishing, and that bo- those bonefish are going to hang around. They're not going to move off those flats. They're not going to. It's not going to be thirty minutes of you know furious action and then two hours of nothing. It's going to be much more consistent fishing during those more stable tides. The other upside to the you know quarter to half moon, you know quarter half three quarter moon phases. And you're there for a week and the moon changes once a month. So, I mean, you're going to overlap. You know, it's pretty easy to overlap on some of those bigger tides. But the upside is that you can go fish the coastlines or what they call the shipwrecks, which is really, really cool. Hmm. In the big tide shifts, you can't, it's, you're only going to get like a short period each day when that might be fishable. So you're looking at driving two hours in a truck. It's a long drive to go fish some of those remote coastlines. You're looking to driving all the way in that pickup for, you know, a limited fishing window, you know, when the tides aren't that great. So in those moderate tides, you can go fish those coastlines and it is spectacular. Hmm. You have these waves just crashing in and breaking. And then there's like a breaker reef. And then inside that kind of this mini reef, there's like this flat with some chop and some moving current. And you would think, oh yeah, there's no way these bonefish or these other fish are going to be living out here on this coastline. And dude, it's incredible. And those fish are so aggressive, and they're generally mm. a little bit easier to catch when you get shots at them, for my experience, because of the just the general noise and surroundings. You can get some really good close shots at both trevally, you know, several species of trevally and bonefish on that coastline.
1: But that you're taking a truck. Normally, you're you're fishing. Not out of the boat, but taking a boat to a flat and then walking on the flat.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, the the way the... Yeah, so let's talk about what a day looks like then. So, we're going to... Let's go... We'll go kind of back quick to orientation. So, yeah, you'll... You will you you arrive and you don't fish that day typically. So, you're going to... You're going to get go from the Casty Airport at Christmas Island. You're going to, you know, drink your beer if you like a beer. And you're going to drive to the lodge. You're going to get checked in. You're going to go through an orientation from the lodge GM and uh, their hostess or hosts, kind of like, you know, like what water to drink, what water not to drink. Do not drink the tap water. Um, most of the lodges, I know the villages does, has a reverse osmosis drinking water system. And so that drinking water in pitchers is a hundred percent pure. Hmm. Like you're, you're good to go um, when it comes to, to that water. But yeah, don't brush your teeth in that tap water, dude. Hmm. Ste- steer clear Stay to that. of that. I was told to throw my toothbrush away if I no know, put it in that water. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we go through the orientation and we get all that stuff, uh, you know, how the fishing program is going to work, and then we rig up rods and all that, you know, that first night. One thing I love about Christmas Island is I'm a more well, there's a lot of things, but I'm a morning guy, and I get up early and uh, we're going to be up, you know, probably before daylight, so we will be up about five o'clock in the morning, and uh, they when they have a full lodge, they generally schedule breakfast so that the boats that are going to go the furthest away, and that boat might have three to five anglers on it, usually three or four. The boat that's going to go the furthest, their breakfast, <clears throat> and it's all written. Dude, I love how they write it up. Like they schedule it down to the wire, man. Hmm. So the first, the boat that's going the furthest has breakfast kind of scheduled early. And you can overlap, but what they like to do is a breakfast might be at 5.30 a.m., 6 or 6.30. The boat that's going the furthest will just generally have breakfast first. Sure. So that they don't get all 15 anglers in there at once. So the boat that's mm-hmm. going out first will come in, have their breakfast. Uh, lunch is kind of a make-your-own-lunch kind of thing. And, uh, you know, make yourself a sandwich, you know, get some apples or whatever. Uh, and uh, one thing I did... Think was hilarious about the fruit selection there is they have Washington grown apples. Oh in really? Christmas Island. Yeah, we're just like three thousand miles away, and we're still we're eating apples <laughs> grown minutes from our house. You know, probably ten or fifteen minutes from your house, Bob. Yeah. Uh, so you see, yeah, you, you lunch is kind of a do-it-yourself thing, and then you'll jump on your, you get your anglers rounded up. You know, you might be with you know a couple other guys, and uh, your guide's already pre-assigned. At the villages, we fish a one-to-one guide to angleratia. So everybody's got their own guides. The at Kari House, uh, unless you hire out your your own private guide, you're going to fish two-to-one. And there's pros and cons to that guide arrangement. I probably dissect that here because that's a common question. Um, you know, what are the pros and cons of that? But anyway, you get on your boat. You know, you throw your lunch in, in the cooler, you get on the boat, and then the boat motors anywhere from 20 minutes to, yeah, sometimes maybe closer to an hour. But it's beautiful because it's right at sunrise. You're seeing, you know, manta rays and, you know, just all sorts of sea life, you know. I've been to so many saltwater places, I'm trying to remember if I see dolphins. Yeah, I see dolphins there. Uh, see dolphins and just all sorts of sea life, you know, while you're heading out in the morning, and it's just gorgeous. And that's is it when, cold
1: in the morning, or is it 80 degrees already? It's
0: like 80 degrees. Okay. Yeah, it's very comfortable. Uh, good question. So now, very warm, 80 degrees in the morning, head out, and you get dropped off on a flat with your guide, and each boat has a boatman uh, that drives, and he drops you and your buddy, you know, or you and your buddy if you're fishing with, like, a friend, Two of you might get off at the same flat with two guides or, you know, one guide, depending on your guide arrangement. And then the boatman, he's just kind of h- hangs out with his radio, and he's like the ultimate fish taxi. So, mm-hmm. like, when you're ready to move, your guide just radios like, you know, you won't understand a dang word he's saying. He'd be like, And that means, come get yeah. us. That means, no come fish. get us, and something like that. You know, I can do that again for your amusement. If like. <laughs> But you want to understand a thing, and, uh, and you'd be like, what are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? Is he talking bad about us? Yeah, 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 <laughs> uh, yeah exactly. Because there's, like, you, there's, yeah. I haven't even learned, like, one word. Um, I feel terrible. But How it, many times have you been there, Joe? Ten times? No, not that many. But enough that I should know more than what I know. You don't even know hello. Uh... I do not. We'll, we'll work on that. <laughs> we'll work on that. Yeah, we'll get a Gilbert T's uh, dictionary. Yeah. So you get dropped off, and then you'll truck around, you'll fish that flat, then eventually, the way the tides work, that flat's eventually going to dry up, and you need to get to another flat. So he radios boatman. Boatman, you know, comes out of nowhere. You know, like, you don't see him, and the curvature of the earth there, uh, you know, I don't know if it's more abrupt, but, like, it's crazy you'll think oh man he's got to be miles and miles from here And then all of a sudden you see him pop over the horizon and he's there in like hmm. just a few minutes so anyway he shows up out of nowhere you jump in the boat and then he motors you off you might go pick up one of the other guys depending on you know lodge geographic logistics but he will drive you to the next flat and then you'll fish that one you'll
1: i mean are you talking like you're fishing one flat for half a day and then you're switching and fishing another one for half a day or might see- you fish a a few in one day or one or
0: i want to say it's anywhere for like an hour or two you know i've been on flats oh, okay. for less than that but I've so been you're jumping flats.
1: around quite a bit
0: you're jumping around quite a bit it's really surprising how fast that bike can change <laughs> you know and sometimes i think you know guides are the same you know here as they are there i mean you know from guiding bob sometimes you just get antsy as a guide just get bored yeah or, or you feel like you you know you feel this indirect pressure from the guest to make something happen so maybe you pull off the flat too soon but you can walk literally for miles there's one flat called 9 mile flat guess how long that is is it 9 miles it's 9 miles long oh my god yeah you can like so you can walk and walk and walk and uh and cover a lot of ground but You'll get dropped off and picked up numerous times. You don't fish from the boats unless you go blue water fishing. You're going to fish exclusively on foot on the flats. And uh, I would say, like, the number one thing I like about Christmas Island is, I you know I'm social. I like chit chatting and, and BSing and throwing down a few cocktails the evening. I'll be, you know, I've got the gift of gab. I'll chat you up. You don't say. I've got. The, I'll chat you up. <laughs> but when I'm on the flats. I'm there to fish. Like, there might be an hour where my guide and I don't even talk. Like, we, it's silent, you know, and all we're doing is creeping and stalking. You're going to hear a little bit of a breeze. The only sounds are going to be a little bit of a breeze, and my pant legs or my shirt wrestling in the wind. And that's it. We're going to silently stalk these fish all day long, and we're not going to talk. You know, it's not going to be social. And a guy now joker at of at times. I don't mean to make it sound like it's a completely stoic environment. It's not. But the point is, it's not like being in a drift boat with a buddy where you're constantly BSing all day long and making jokes. It's, there is no duck blind humor yeah. in Christmas Island. You have lots of that when you get back to the the lodge that evening and you're having dinner and it's a ton of fun it's great because everybody had you know all of that wonderful wild solitude because the place is spectacular i mean the sea life and the beauty and the coral and the biodiversity there is like the frigate birds and everything you see there is just absolutely spectacular i mean the bird life is just absolutely mm. amazing but you see all this wonderful stuff and because you don't have that distraction of that that english conversation you really are able to absorb everything around you and i that's one thing i love about christmas island is i get to go hunting for fish for a week i just get to stalk my prey and um and you're on foot so there's you know it's just very efficient man and You can walk all you want. I haven't found any correlation between putting the miles on and catching more fish because you got to be quiet, you know, and most of the time, especially for Trevally, you can't walk down a giant Trevally. Yeah, they're just too fast. Their their cruising speeds must be like 10, 15 miles an hour. Yeah. I mean, it's like their cruising speed is typically a quick jog, you know, even when they're just searching you know when they're attacking they move so fast your eye can barely track the fish huh, wow yeah when they decide they're going to take you know the, the fly can barely track the fish but yeah and then you head back to the lodge that night you know um you want if you want to go in early make sure you get on a boat where all the anglers want to go in early um What's i like early three o'clock okay you know so we're out we're out fishing about seven i'd say and like three would be kind of early i like fishing about five those guys are super hard working uh They'll fish you long days, but what you want to do if you're not on a red strip this is really important if you if you just go do the trip you know I, we encourage you to contact us first let us help you know if you need tackle and stuff like that especially we'd love to sell you some stuff uh make no mistake about that <laughs> but if you're not on a red strip make sure you take some of this information with you that you can have an early boat come back early and you can have boats that Maybe they do want to stay a little bit later, and they can communicate and get those guys on the same boat, and uh, make sure you you coordinate that. Because, yeah, if guys want to come in early, you got to have them on the same boat. So,
1: man, you got to be tired after a week of that, Joe.
0: Dude, seven I, to five, dude. I fish Fishing hard, dude. I fish so hard. So I'll be restless the first two nights, and then by night three, dude, I sleep like a rock. Oh, I bet. and and uh, that's salt standing in salt water for that long is incredibly cleansing. It's also kind of hydrating, you know, mm. like it's really, yeah, I just feel like it's really good for your body to have your feet in salt water that, that long. Um, I don't get that ankle swelling. Like I do when I go to Mexico and, you know, I'm standing on the deck of the boat and I get cankles after a couple of days, mm. but in Christmas Island, yeah, it's you. you feel really refreshed. You'll sleep good because you're tired, but, uh, it's a different kind. It's a good kind of tired. You know. So I was
1: gonna ask. I mean, can you fish from the from the resort there? It sounds like you probably aren't gonna want to fish from the resort. You're gonna nah. be too
0: tired. Yeah, you're, you're getting plenty of fishing in. You know, that's yeah. a really good question. Um, now nah, you're getting plenty of fishing in. I've thought about it before, but the guides really recommended against it. You know, I I don't know if it's a permitting thing. They didn't really have a good explanation why. Hmm. Now that I've been there enough times, it's just it. Don't don't bother. Yeah, I'm going to be much better off. You know, if I'm going to enrich my experience, and I have a little spare time of the evenings, I love talking to the the hosts, especially the hostesses. The ladies are fantastic, and just getting to know them and getting to know the culture a little bit better. Still haven't learned a damn lick of Gilbertese, but that's probably just because they speak such good English. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if I've got extra time, I want to invest that in the company that I'm with, I suppose. But uh, okay, so that was the boat gig. So that's your most common deal. Now, if you go truck fishing, you can do something called going to the backcountry, which is my absolute favorite trip. Love taking the trucks to the backcountry. Now, don't press the guide manager or the, the host or anything. If the backcountry, if and it doesn't make sense to do it, they'll tell you, you know, trust your guide. Because if it's not going to be fishing good, they know it's not going to be fishing good and sometimes they can get the boats in the back country if there's the tide is high at the right time so they can get in and out in, the, in these much more elaborate excuse me much more elaborate network of lagoons they if they can get the boat in there to access it then they'll take the boat in there but if they can't then they'll take trucks around uh, around the island and they'll come out these peninsulas from the backside and you'll use trucks driving across these these real slick coral flats and they'll actually take huh. the trucks right out on these coral flats and then you'll you'll be able to hike these peninsulas and it's really cool cuz you're elevated above the water and you get this really blue bluish green emerald color to the water and you can look down on top of the fish rather than being in the water gotcha. so you get a bit of an, a bit of a perch and it gives you a different look now, our hosts try to, what we do, like, because there's a limited number of spots, a lot of times you can put maybe four or five guys in a truck at most, because you got guides going, too. So, uh, and, you know, again, we got these little cab over Isuzu-type, you know, pickups. But uh, what we try to do is if people have been on trips with us before and not gotten into the backcountry, we kind of, we give them kind of the, uh, they get the pass, so they get kind of the first shot. If they've been on a Reds trip, they've not done the backcountry, Let's let them go first if they've not had the opportunity. Uh, Then we'll often do like a lottery or something like that for those limited spots, for the shipwrecks or, you know, for whatever it is, or blue water. We'll just do like a little evening lottery, and and that's a really fun, kind of easy, fair way to to give everybody an equal opportunity to get on those trips. And I'll tell you this. I don't know how the lodges operate when Red's isn't there, but I will just tell you that... uh, they don't operate quite the same way. I think that the uh, the fairness factor gets diminished and it gets defaulted to anglers that have been to that lodge before. So sure. if you are then it makes sense. I mean yeah. I, I'm not gonna say we wouldn't do that here at, at our resort, um, take care of our good longtime customers, but at Reds we try to we try to make do lotteries or fun ways to, to let everybody have an opportunity to enjoy those kind of specialty opportunities. And then not just Christmas Island, but sometimes we think of things that are fun, that we know are fun, and we ask the guide staff to, we do like a twilight fish one night. Hey, let's fish till dark one night, you know, and we try to arrange it so we all get to fish till dark one night, whereas, you know, that opportunity might not exist, but... Anyway, just some things to think about. Um, if you're booking outside of us, you know, pay attention to the guide assignments, guide rotations, and who gets you know specialty opportunities. And don't go. Joe Rotor at Red said, "I got to get this done or do this," and stand <laughs> up to myself and get my fair shake. Don't say that. But I just want you to know that uh, you know, pay attention to the guide rotation and boat rotation and flat rotation because uh, you know, heck, we might as well just get into talking about guides now. Yeah, talk did you about did it. you have spe- any specific questions about guides or? uh no, I did not. Um, well, let me weigh out like the two lodges that we fish at. So, you know, my business partner here, Steve Joyce, uh, he's been he loves the Akari House. Uh, I, that's the main competitor to the Villages. I love the Villages, with equal satisfaction. Uh, we and the customers are so completely satisfied at either lodge, really, uh, there really isn't an advantage to yeah. one or the other. Otherwise, we'd only work with one or the other. Right. We, yeah. we book our trips far enough in advance we can get all the dates that we want. We're just really happy with both lodges. Um, but if I had to kind of weigh out the pros and cons to each, is the uh, the Akari fish is a 2-to-1 guide-to-angler ratio. And, uh, some people much prefer the two to one ratio. If they're going to go bonefish fishing, they want the guide to get them on the right flat, help them with a little advice, make sure they're walking the right direction, either against the current, against the wind or light behind them. You know, all these considerations, you know, you want proper sun angle, um, you know, current wind and everything else. And you want to be on the correct side of the flat. A lot of these flats are can be narrow and skinny, and you either want to be on the upstream side or the downstream side, depending on the time of day. So the guide, the two-to-one guide, is extremely helpful in saying, okay, we're going to fish here, you're going to walk this direction, and, you know, Bob, you go over here 100 yards and parallel this direction. So a lot of people don't want a guide around them all the time. They want to go bonefish fishing, and they want to spot their own fish, and they want to, you know, they want some space, and I totally can appreciate that. Um, because I ask for space every day when I'm bonefish fishing, because I get, I find I grow as an angler 10 times faster when I'm responsible for spotting and catching all of my own fish without a guide around. That's how I get better. Right. And, and I improve myself. Um, but they are hard to spot the fish. Very hard to spot. We'll okay. talk about that too. Uh, so at the Akari House, you're two to one. The The guide experience at Akari House is going to be better on average because everybody's getting access to an experienced guide. So at the villages, they're fielding twice as many guides. Sure. So you're going to have half of your staffs going to be highly experienced. Half of your staff is going to be less experienced, anywhere from a first- or second-year guide to you know three- or four-year guide in that bottom half of the, the guide order. So you might wind up with a guide who's... He's frankly not very good at spotting fish. You have to understand that going into it. And the only thing that drives me nuts on these trips is when when guests will complain. And there's one rule on red trips, and that's no complaining. You can voice concerns about reasonable <laughs> things, but no complaining. That's it just, it, it, you know, the cost of the trip is like twenty eight or $2,900. bucks. we are not going to, not everybody's going to get a super-duper pro guide every day at the village's. But what can that guy do? The guy can take great pictures for you. Show you how hey, show him how your camera works. I've got spectacular photography. For the guides, I've just showed them how to take the picture. I've showed them how, you know, basic how to frame it up and then I'll tell them, just hold the camera right here, I'll hold my fish or I'm going to throw a couple of casts. They can get capture amazing memories for you by carrying cameras. They're going to carry extra rods, they're going to carry gear and guess what? They're going to carry a radio. So that you can get moved, you can you can go your own direction, go completely renegade, go your own direction. And when that flat dries up, that single guide's going to call that boat and get you out of there. Mm-hmm. So there's some mobility advantages, but you know I've heard such wonderful things about the Akari House at the two on the two to one ratio that I, I mean I can't really argue with it. Customers are so satisfied there, and you can hire a private guide for a day or two at the Akari House for like an extra hundred fifty bucks a day. Oh. So, you've got the option. Anyway, you know, everything else being equal, that's really the only chief difference. The Akari House has a couple of boats that are a little bit faster. So, you you know, you get to the flat a little bit quicker and stuff. But
1: but there's it, so much out there. You're not competing for the better flats or anything like that.
0: No, not really. You'll see a boat or two here or there, but uh, nah, not really. It's It's, I mean... No, you're not really competing for water yeah. or anything like that. It's an extremely quiet, peaceful environment. Hmm. So we haven't even gotten fish species yet. This might, this might wind up being a two-parter, but uh, yeah, let's let's hammer it out. Let's, yeah. let's go, let's go. I know you had some more specific questions.
1: Yeah, hit me with. I mean, yeah, the fish species. What kind of size are we looking at? Uh, heard you, you know, obviously there's bonefish. Obviously there's GTS, but Kind of what else? You know, what else are we looking at? I heard you mention like a blue trevally, was it?
0: Uh, yeah, those are cool. Um, let's start with what you should do if this is. Uh, I think this podcast is going to be incredibly helpful for a first or second time Christmas Island fishermen, especially a first timer. Go there with the idea that this is uh, a bonefish fishing trip, and everything else is gravy. If you do that, like if you go into it with that mo. You are going to be so incredibly satisfied with the quality of the trip. In, in fact, I think the Akari House calls their trips bone fishing trips. Like I think it's a, a really nice kind of marketing ploy or strategy. Because if you go into this <clears throat> like it's a giant trawley fishing trip, you're likely setting yourself up for great disappointment. I'm just I'm going to be so super honest with anybody listening here about what the the catch numbers or catch counts going to look like so the bonefish fishing let's just talk about that first that should absolutely be your primary focus uh the fish are going to be fantastic in size uh they can range anywhere from a pound all the way up to 12 pounds oh Uh, wow yeah like a a six or seven pound fish is a darn nice fish but it's not rare Hmm. you know my biggest there is about eight you know i've hooked a couple of bigger ones um in fairness, I spent a lot of my time fishing giant trevally. I've been there, you know, a handful of times now. So I'll fish, you know, trevally quite a bit. I'm very patient with that, um, and if I don't catch anything, I'm okay with that. I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody, or right. I don't yeah, sure. have any ego, believe it or not, associated with that. If I don't catch fish, I don't catch fish. Um, it's the way the cards were dealt. Um, so go with the mo. You're going to be a bon- it's a bonefish fishing trip and then as other opportunities pop up, you try to take advantage of them as best you can, but you want to go and pursue bonefish as your primary species. And you're going to you're going to have ample opportunity to catch bonefish. If somebody came back to the lodge after day 1 and said, and it was their first time saltwater fishing, and and Bob, you're probably not a good example because you're such a good fisherman to begin with, but Let's just say your average neophyte angler, you know, does a few fly fishing trips a year. He wants to go to Christmas Island. Looks like fun. If he came back and said, I caught 20 bonefish today, I wouldn't be like, you know, I wouldn't call BS on that. I'd be like, of course you did. You're at Christmas Island. You're bonefish fishing. (laughs) Um, See, I don't believe numbers of fish will ever be a problem for anybody there. And nobody should be intimidated by this trip. And Bob's handled a tremendous number of bookings, although he's not been there. He's handled tons tons of calls and inquiries. Have you ever heard one of our guests ever say, man, wish I would have done that. It was way over my head.
1: Never. No. I mean, everyone that comes back, they, they always have an awesome time. Like you say, they have a ton of bonefish. Maybe they have a chance at a GT or maybe they don't, but who cares? Because the bonefish fishing was just lights out.
0: Yeah. and uh, Nobody said that ever about a no. tropical trip with us. Like, you know, I think we do a pretty good job of selling it, honestly, because we, we want this to be a, you know, we want to exceed expectations, but, you know, you're going to bone fish fish, you're going to do it on foot, um, you know. I'll, People love wading the flats. I oh mean, man,
1: it, it's it's almost uh, like this romantic idea in my head, like, oh, we're just going to go out and we're, there's these flats for miles and we're just going to walk and catch fish and
0: the swoosh of your it's, feet and the, the sounds the, fun the swoosh of your feet and the rustle of your fishing shirt of the wind dude it in that warm tropical water on your feet I feel like i'm there right now but,
1: <laughs> even though you're sitting in the cold f150 dude it's an f350 I, oh i'm sorry yeah it's a big truck yeah it's it's mighty big joe it's
0: freezing <laughs> I should start this thing uh yeah it's freezing here right now uh, windows are beginning to fog up uh but it's a pretty nice view. We had a bald eagle fly by a few minutes ago, and uh, there were bighorn sheep in the bluffs all week last week. bunch of big rams. Yep. Um, but anyway, back to the tropics. Uh, so the bonefish are fantastic. You're going to stalk them on foot. You're going to get to hunt them down on foot. Everything's going to go slower, you know, than being in a moving boat or a flats boat. You know, like if you go to the Bahamas, you're going to fish out of a flats boat much of the time, and everything's a little bit more hurried in a flats boat because you're casting a large shadow you're much easier to see there's waves slap on the boat making some noise in christmas island you can stalk much closer and be more surgical with you when you make your shot at those fish uh somebody could go on this trip and just take an eight weight and maybe a backup rod you know a couple of eight weights or a seven and eight or a, you know a couple of rods you know, and fish bonefish the entire trip and then throw bonefish flies at bluefin trevally, you know, because bluefin trevally, they, they will eat a fast strip bonefish fly retrieved as though it's a minnow and have a great time. And then leave giant trevally out there as kind of a bonus if you get an opportunity, great. But the bonefish are going to range in size quite a bit. You're going to start out, you know, I'm going to recommend go catch schoolies and just do numbers of bonefish early in the week. Practice executing yeah. your strip set. Get good at spotting the fish. Learn to communicate with your guide so that when he sees a fish and he says 1 o'clock, you're picking it up before you make a cast. That's really critical because once you start false... Listen close, please, everybody. Pay attention. Once you start false casting towards a general direction of 1 o'clock or whatever it happens to be, you are far less likely to ever see that fish than if you just take a couple deep breaths, really concentrate, and let the fish reveal itself. If you let the fish reveal itself, you're more likely to see it yourself, and then you can actually execute and catch the fish. Because the fish ain't going to be at 1 o'clock very long. He's either going to be quartering towards you, left, right, across. Bonefish don't sit still. And that's one really helpful tip for spotting them, is if you see something sitting still, it's not a fish. Not a fish. That's not a fish. I've seen 80,000 things I thought were bonefish, and
1: none of them were moving. What color do they look like in the water?
0: You know, usually you're just seeing a shadow. Um, okay. Generally, you're just going to see a very subtle mirage moving across the bottom. You'll see the absence of sand is a really good way to, to spot them. Sometimes you'll see their eye, the really close ones. You'll literally just see their eye. They can be that one color is their eye? Gold and black is okay. generally how you spot that. And, uh, yeah, you'll see, like, if they get within 20 feet, a lot of times you won't see them. But depending on the sun angle and things, too, like, when they're, when there's a, a good shadow, you know, you can see them quite effectively.
1: What color sunglasses am I wearing, Joe?
0: Uh, you know, I'm honestly not too picky about it, but I like that, that uh, Chromapop uh, from Smith. I've got the copper, and I copper. just wear that for pretty much everything. You can get those, like, low-light igniter lenses and some of those. But uh, I want the Chromapop from smith i'm gonna put that in all all my glasses are always gonna have that gotcha um but yeah i i run the the, the copper lens is, is my color you know clouds blow over and stuff like that i mean the lighting conditions change from morning to afternoon to evening i'll generally bring you know i always bring a backup set every single day with me on the flats right. and uh, a lot of times i'll have like an amber or something for low light as my backup set but it's got to be just dark enough that I could. They they would make a viable substitute if I was to you know lose my primary set of shades. Yeah. But yeah, you're bonefish fishing. You're going to walk the flats. You know, focus on bonefish. Eight weight rods are good. You know, you need an eight weight rod with a tropical floating line and a really sturdy reel. You don't need a T bore. You don't have to have a T bore. Uh, although I recommend having one really nice outfit. Like if you're thinking about investing, get a grade A eight weight rod with like a t-bore hatch reel and uh load it up with like good hatch backing so you know 68 pound backing so you don't lose a fly line should you hook a trevally or something goes crazy and like a scientific anglers you know grand slam taper line is a good all-around line Mm -hmm. for throwing at anything in salt water and you can use that eight weight for small bluefin trevally you know and you can use it for bonefish but you're gonna spend 80 percent of your time or more on your eight weight You know, that should be your, you know, your biggest investment in gear should go there um, because that's where you're going to spend most of the time. You can carry a 10, you know, I'm guessing I'm kind of diverting into a gear talk now, but you can, you can divert some funds into, you know, getting a 10 or 12 weight, but I don't think you got to spend quite as much there if you're limited by budget. I personally just buy the, you know, I'm 40 years old now, almost, got a birthday this year, but. Anymore, I'm just so tired of owning too much stuff. I would rather not have it than have mediocre gear. Mm-hmm. Like, personally, like, I sell a lot of gear of all price ranges just because my values aren't the same as all the consumer values, but I'd personally almost rather not have it than have anything that I'm going to have to buy again. I'm just so tired of having mediocre equipment. So I'd rather do without a 12-weight and put more money into my 8 or more money into my 10 Now, are they going to have, like, a backup
1: rod at the lodge in in case you did break
0: one? (laughs) No. 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 This isn't Alaska Bob. No, this ain't Alaska Bob. Uh, (laughs) No, the host is going to have, like, so when you're hosting trips, you know, like you've done on other trips, you know, you'll have, you know, the reds, you know, arsenal of rods to bring, but as I will on this trip, and and, uh, no, the host will have backup rods if you're going on an unhosted trip, you know you may want to, you know, buck up a little bit and carry a few more backups and backup fly lines and that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, so but regarding, like, you know, if you were to have the, you know, the best rod assortment, you know, say, you know, rod selection was an issue, budget was not an issue, you'd have, you know, a couple of eight weights, you know, so you got a backup eight weight, you know, you're going to do a lot of fishing in a short period of time for very aggressive fish with weighted flies in a yeah. faraway place, two eight weights, a 10 and a twelve. That's what you'd carry, and you would take an 8 to 10 to 12 on the boat every single day. Your 12 is rigged up with 60 to 80-pound fluorocarbon, straight 7 feet to a giant trevally fly. Your tens rigged up with 40-pound fluorocarbon, 7 feet of that, straight to like an EP Perfect minnow, something like a size 2 minnow. That's for smaller GTs and bluefins. Gotcha. Bluefins have really good vision. They like 40-pound tippet versus that heavier stuff, and they much prefer smaller baitfish. (laughs) They're capable of eating bigger stuff, but they you just don't hook them as much. Hmm. You, you, they hook up way better on smaller bait fish, and then you got your eight weight with a shrimp pattern that you're throwing at bonefish, you're throwing at triggerfish, you're throwing at smaller bluefin trevally, uh, you're throwing that at golden trevally uh, as well. Golden trevally act much more like a permit. They're very slow movers. They eat crabs and shrimp. It, it, they're kind of like a striped permit, to be honest hmm. with you. They uh they behave very differently than a blue trevally or a way different than a giant trevally.
1: Now, I've also heard that because the coral is so uh, sharp, so bad, you you might want to carry some extra fly lines.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, that's a really good idea. I personally not lost them. What ends up happening is a couple of things. You hook you hook a, a trevally, and you could hook a trevally in a couple of different ways. You could have one eat a bonefish like I've had happen before. Oh, wow. Did I had one eat a bonefish that had to have been, the bonefish had to have been 8 pounds. The trevally had to be 80 pounds. Dang. Dude, it was nuts. and It, oh, it was freaking crazy. So that crazy. was on your 8 weight. That was on my 8 weight, and it just, I mean, it got a hold of that thing. And, I mean, you run pretty heavy tippet for these bonefish. You know, we're running 16 and 20 pound tippet for these bonefish a lot which is extraordinarily heavy tippet for bonefish, and we're doing that because of the coral and because we have some bycatch of bluefin trevally, which bluefin trevally, I think a 20-pounder is a really big one, and they might be the fastest damn fish on earth. I mean, mm. they, they are unbelievably strong. Uh, but you could lose a fly line doing that. So, yeah, having a backup fly line for each of your rods is a really good choice. And, uh, you know, but like a couple of anglers, like say you're going with a buddy, You guys have a backup line between you. That's probably good. I mean, every, I've not lost a whole fly line, but you could lose a fly line by having a fish, you know, take another fish and you're under, you're under gun for that fish pulling your bone fish out. Right. And, and before you can really think it through, he's, you're into the backing and then some and he hooks your, your backing or your fly line. He button hooks it on some coral. You know, that's what happens. And what they'll do is they'll peel the line, they'll, they'll shred the line by dragging the fly line across the coral too. So sometimes it's not Uh, an issue of terminal breakage. It's an issue of that line getting raked across the coral and the vinyl becoming stripped and damaged due to that sharp coral interaction. So, you know, you could lose a fly line a couple of different ways, but, um, like a half a fly line per dude. You know, when we're hosting these things, we take a handful with us. You need a fly line, you go to the, the Red's vending machine, and we'll hook you up. With, yeah. Yeah, you know, we'll set you up with a new fly line. We don't take a whole fly shop, but <clears throat> we take some lines, flies, and leaders and stuff because inevitably somebody needs a little help, you know, sure. throughout the throughout the week. But, you know, the, the blue fins are great. You know, uh, GTs are awesome. The uh, Goldens are real slow movers. But I'll tell you, at times... Like, I've been walking across those flats, and you've played the game Whack-A-Mole in an arcade, right? Oh, sure. Dude, what's your top score? <laughs> I did. I was 12. <laughs> 12. <laughs> uh, so Whack-A-Mole, um, I'm a competitive Whack-A-Mole player. Um, so Whack-A-Mole is like, you gotta, you know, the thing pops up, for those of you that don't know what the hell we're talking about. little critter pops up out of the hole, and you gotta beat it down with your hammer, right? So, yeah. and... uh I've been on those flats before where you see a fish and you're like dude it's like whack-a-mole you throw at this bluefin over here and you know either you get him or he's gone and then all of a sudden a trigger fish pops up behind you you're turning around throwing at the trigger fish you you throw three casts at him you realize he's not a player and then there's a golden trevally you know tailing you know over here and you can throw at the golden trevally tailing over here and then it, all the meanwhile, there's bonefish on the perimeter. Oh, over, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's bonefish on the perimeter. There's a black tip shark cruising by. And then a school of GT starts busting baitfish 100, you know, 100 yards down the beach. It's like you can't move from one fish to the next fast enough at huh. times. Wow. Like, and obviously, it's not like that 100% of the time. Go into this knowing that the ocean is big. The fisher can be hard to catch. But there are times where it's a game of whack-a-mole, dude. It's like yeah. you're throwing at different stuff so fast and some of it's gone before you get there. And if you're quick enough and you get that fly there, you can get them. <clears throat> Especially in low-light conditions, everything is real close. So you're seeing them and, and by the time you see them, it's time to cast. And then they might disappear into the flat light. And then hmm. you've got another one pops up over here and so on and so forth. But uh, Sounds exciting. Yeah, it's it's a really cool trip. Uh, you know, I don't. Yeah, I mean, there's. Yeah, I mean, you could make this a four hour podcast. I mean, just going through all the, the kind of the nuts and bolts of it, and uh, you know, and covering the details and and you know, by all means, sir, go to our blog and and look and find our you know guide to fishing Christmas Island our blog because that's got some incredibly you know valuable information on there as well. This podcast shouldn't be the end all for your research, but if you're thinking about booking this trip, you know, take a look at our dates. And, uh, you know, and it, you know, advice is free. You know, call and talk to me or email me at joe at redsflyshop.com or email Bob, Bob Miller at redsflyshop.com. Talk to Bob if you have questions uh, and you want to do the trip. But it's a really easy process to book. I mean, you take a look at the week, let us know you want to go you know, we, we take a you know deposit by check and then we email you everything you need to know to get the trip planned. And we're going to be traveling with you. Like, I mean, you're not just going and doing this completely alone. And I, and we say, ta- we say this in our, like some of our literature, but if you're a better listener than a reader, um, maybe valuable to mention this here, but we take a lot of single anglers, you know, on these trips, mm-hmm. you know, Reds is a great resource. If you're thinking about traveling alone, Go on one of our trips, man. We're all we're all fast friends and and we do a good job of of like I said, balancing guide assignments and making sure everybody gets you know access to the best opportunities and things like that. So it's an easy trip to book. It's, it doesn't have to be real daunting um, getting the I remember my first trip there. I mean the logistics seems so intimidating and daunting and now it's just like guys, it's like well, you make it sound
1: pretty easy. Yeah, it
0: it really is not that tough. I mean, there's a bazillion flights a day that go to you know, from the US to Hawaii, you know. Yeah. Doing that's easy and there's only one flight a week goes to Christmas time. So you better make that one. Pretty tough to screw that <laughs> one up when you're booking it, you know, like that's a pretty easy thing to do. Um and it's an affordable trip. You know, I mean it's uh you know, it's sub three thousand bucks right now. By the time you listen to this it might go up a hundred bucks or something, but it's not it's not really going much of anywhere um, you know, it's, it's a really good affordable adventure. Well, what other questions you got? Uh,
1: I don't know. I, I, gosh, Joe, I, you, you think you covered quite a bit of it. Uh, I know I'm even more stoked to go than when we first started this deal an hour ago, but, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I guess, uh, I'm getting a little hungry now that we've been talking. What, what's
0: on the menu down there? Oh, a lot of fish. A lot of fish. <laughs> Which, like, I... Okay, so, the only negative, and I've heard this before I went to Christmas Island. Was, oh uh, the food is horrible. And I've not experienced that. Like, I'm pretty... Like, I'm pretty easy to please, too. I, I have adult taste buds. I like mushrooms and avocados and spicy things. And I'm, I'm not happy eating peanut butter sandwiches for weeks. So, when I say I'm easy to please, I'm not, like... I I... I like good food, but I, I like real food. Yeah, and uh, I appreciate the fact we get uh, like fish and rice every night. Like I'm pretty damn happy having fish and rice. Fresh fish, right? fresh fish. Yeah, like I could eat that every night for the rest of my life and be pretty happy. You know, prepared slightly differently, maybe a yeah. few different herbs and things. Right. Uh, but i thought the dinners were, were great. I got no problem with the dinners. Something to know about Christmas Island is They can't grow fresh vegetables and like lettuce and things there huh. because they're so, they don't have any soil. All it's all and sand and coral. Yeah. So they don't, so they have to fly that stuff in from Honolulu or Fiji or, you know, I think most of it comes in from the Honolulu side, but, uh, you're not going to see, you'll get a few fresh salads and stuff like early in the week. But, uh, you know, like fish and rice, I'm really happy with, I got no issues with that. Uh, the lunches are real basic. You know, you've got bread and, like, you know, processed lunch meat. You've got some ham and that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, and you got apples from Washington. But, like, lunch is lunch. You know, I, if I get something to eat while I'm out fishing. I'm not, like, looking forward to that event. But, like, right. dinner is fantastic. There's plenty of beer. There's great Australian beers. There's wine. There's alcohol. You can pick up some alcohol at Duty Free. Uh, you know, the alcohol is not exorbitantly priced, you know, grand, you in a lo- remote location. I think beers are three or four bucks or something like that. You know, I'm not a super heavy drinker, but I like through a couple of beers a night. Uh, but there, there's beer and all that. Like dinners are great. Like evenings are a ton of fun breakfast. I could eat eggs, you know, and toast every morning. So like they'll fry eggs for you every single morning. It's like eggs, pancakes, and like, you know, a slab of ham or something Sounds like that. awesome. Yeah, like, it's it's great. There's, I think there's oatmeal and a couple of other things, but, like, if I can have a couple of fried eggs for breakfast every day, I'm pretty happy. Um, and there's great coffee, you know, as well. So, like, perfect. Dude, eggs and coffee. I got nothing to complain about breakfast and lunch and then dinner. I'm having fresh fish. And then they have beef, and they've got, you know, they do have some livestock on the island as well. So, uh, you know, they've got pork, uh, they've got beef, and they've got other dishes and things, yeah. too. And then we do kind of, like, I'm just going to call it a luau they have a luau one night where we do a big barbecue outside and oh, there's hula dancing and that kind of stuff. So, uh, that's a ton of fun, but yeah, food wise, you know, no complaints out of me tips. I'll tell you is, uh, bring some snack food. You know, if, uh, if you're a snacky person, bring some jerky, that kind of stuff. And then uh powdered Gatorade is really nice to have because you're standing in salt water. It's up to 90 degrees during the day. You're doing a lot of waiting. It's really easy to get dehydrated, especially with all that travel powdered electrolyte mix is really critical especially if you want to fish you know i don't want to say fish hard because that makes it sound like you know we're out there with a knife in our teeth you know commando <laughs> but like i want to fish with focused intent you know i don't want to be distracted i don't want to be tired i don't want to be you know feeling down or lazy i want to be fish with focused intent and concentration and i really want to be present so i can absorb all the the wild surroundings too you know okay. like stuff like manta rays i mean those swim by all day all no the kidding. time like sweet yeah. you see a ton of cool stuff so i want to feel good i i'll take that powder gatorade mix uh and make sure that i fill a bottle up with that each day and uh and then just kind of a you know a word of advice i think is good for everybody is just don't drink too much you know like i've been on dozens of these you know tropical trips and there's a lot of value in knowing when to say when because yeah. I have seen When's enough <laughs> I I've, you know I would be lying if I said I haven't done it myself once or twice but like you go too deep once or twice and that can kind of you know throw the rest of your week into a tailspin and uh, it's just such a special place to go visit you know you know try to be responsible with your consumption uh, you know especially the first couple of nights and then I, I usually in bed pretty early and then like the second to last night you know mid the hump night and second Mm -hmm. last night i'm up pretty late you know i get pretty chatty those nights yeah
1: oh yeah i've seen that yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah anything else we need to cover bob uh i think that i think that just about uh answers my questions joe but i'm sure there will be more and yeah before the trip but uh no i mean i Obviously, I've seen the blog and I've seen the uh, seen your little travel deal and, you know, I've gotten a lot of questions answered that way, but we'll we'll figure it out
0: too. Oh, yeah, and we're going to do some kind of video documentary uh, of this trip coming up May 2. We'll talk about that maybe on a different one. Uh, anyway, yeah, don't rely on your guide for teepee. Bring powder Gatorade mix. Don't drink too much. Teach your guide to use your camera. Take lots and lots of pictures and ask your guide a lot of questions. Learn more about what they do when they're not guiding and what their life looks like outside of just fishing with you. So that's my concluding thought there.
1: I thought that was very well put and concise.
0: All right, till next time, folks. Thanks for listening.